had just a chance to sit in the hands or the feet or at the feet of Abba Father and listen to his voice. And music is one of the greatest, greatest mediums he has given us to express our love and adoration or for him to express his love to us, his children. And so tonight at 6 o'clock will be a great opportunity for you. A powerful guitarist is going to come with him as well, but I encourage you to come and be a part of that tonight at 6. And really do take the opportunity. Someone has already told me this morning, I've invited my niece to come, and I trust you'll do that as well for this evening. A lot of information in your bulletin. I appreciate what Ray shared this morning. I didn't know how old we really were here. Uh, I know often that I feel old as dirt, and uh, listening to all of those years added up for us is 15 years this weekend, so we're thrilled to be here. A lot of other uh, people have been through here in this 105-year history. We're just thrilled, and on behalf of the uh, staff here, pastoral staff, thank you for your love and grace and for your encouragement. Thank you, Ray, for your kind words this morning. You also notice in the back on this table out here, I think it was, uh, PA Voters Guide. Make sure that you take this seriously. Take it home. There are a number for everyone. Uh, you'll hear me say it over the next few weeks until the elections are over this uh, November. Powerful election. A lot at stake. A lot at stake for us as, a, as believers, as Americans. I really encourage you to take it seriously. Read it carefully so you'll know how to go in with knowledge as to who God would have you vote for in those positions. So please, please do that. Uh, shared a uh, funeral this week for Mary Day. Passed away and obviously you see some flowers. Many of you may have known Mary through the years. Very faithful. Her and her husband would have celebrated 62 years on Friday the day I did her funeral. And uh, I know they would appreciate your prayers. Vicki Fenstermaker also lost her dad this past weekend. And I know she would appreciate your prayers as well. We're in James chapter 1, so I encourage you to take your Bibles out and turn there. We've been there for a while. We'll be there for a while. This morning, I'm going to divide this next section of Scripture into halves. Very difficult to flesh out everything that I feel God wants me to say in a given particular section of Scripture. Now, for some of you who feel like I speak too long, you may think, why, you already do give us too much information. But there's a lot in this, and, and I really sense that somewhere during the middle of the week as I was putting it together, it needed to be divided in half. So I want to talk about the first half of James 1, 13 to 16, next Sunday, the last piece of that, and tie them in together. So I hope you'll come in a part of that. I don't know if you've ever been around anyone who, no matter what kind of problems they face or what kind of trouble they're in, it's always someone else's fault, Right? I've been around anyone like that, no matter where they're at, what trouble they're in, what's happened in their life, it's always someone else's fault. Or maybe you've been around someone who, whatever the circumstances may be, whatever the issue is, when you confront them with that issue or confront them with maybe what they're doing or where they're at in life or what they maybe have done to you, they somehow have this way of shifting the responsibility onto someone else or usually back to you. Know anyone like that? James is going to talk a little bit about that this morning. I want to unpack that. Now, we're in James chapter 1. Even though the section is separate, it all ties in together. So I want to read the context as a whole. Now, one thing I should have said at the very outset, I'm not going to hit every verse in James, but all the major sections. And so I'm going to skip a couple this morning. But it's all a part of the whole. So let me start with verse 2. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, this is where we were last two weeks, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Give generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, you've got to believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The man who thinks, that man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those that love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived. Father, this is really a, a section of Scripture that lays in front of us life and death. And what you want us to choose is life. So in these next couple of weeks as we unpack it, I, I trust that, Father, you will speak. As a lot of the last few weeks, I feel like you've said to me, a lot I've heard from other sources, but I want to hear your voice, and so does people sitting here this morning. So allow us to do that as we spend time unpacking your word and exploring how it not only what, what it not only says, but how it applies to us. Help us to understand that this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, again, I hope you bring your Bibles. I say it all the time, but I, look in your Bible this morning. What I, what I noticed very clearly right up front, even a few weeks ago when I was putting this together, that in these first 16 verses, James makes a clear distinction between trials and temptation. I don't know about you. Some of you, I know I have done through the years, read different translations. I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, spiritually speaking, and that was a Jesus movement when all these Jesus freaks were coming to faith in Christ. And Ken Taylor came out with a Bible called The Way. Any of you remember that? Any of you Jesus freaks in here this morning? Any of you remember that? And it was a Bible called The Way or The Living Bible. The Living Bible says in this particular section of Scripture, Dear brothers, verse 2 of chapter 1, Is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy. <laughs> really? King James Version uses the word temptation in the first half. Now, there are a lot of different versions out there. And a lot of people ask me every once in a while, which one do we use here? Well, I normally read from King James. Uh, I normally read from NIV. A lot of you wish I read from King James. I normally read from NIV. There's a lot of different translations. And a lot of times, different sections will be translated differently. What I have here this morning, everybody should have a Bible that looks like this. Every, isn't that a great Bible? Somebody gave me a while ago. It's in New King James, and he uses the word difficulties in the first half, which I think is a better translation. But when you look at these two sections of Scripture, I noticed that when I was putting it together, because I was always seeing them together as trials and temptations. They're always in the same context. I really believe that the intention was, as the NIV breaks it down, there are two different pieces of issues that James is talking about here. The first is trials. The second is temptations. What we need to remember is that trials need to be endured. Temptations are something to be avoided. Trials are something that needs to be endured. It tells us how to do that and to hold on no matter what you have or what you're going through or how difficult the circumstances are. Temptations are things that needed to be avoided. There's an interesting paradox in these two sections of Scripture to me. James has just discussed the issue of trial and difficulty. We said the last few weeks that Every single one of us are going to go through one at one time or the other where we've already been there. 
And what he says to us is we really need to hold on to God. When you're going through these deep waters, when you're going through difficulty, hold on to God with every fiber of your being. Hold on to God with everything you have. No matter how hard it gets, don't let go of him. Because obviously scripture tells us he won't let go of us. I'll never leave you or forsake you, he said. I'll walk with you even through the valley of the shadow of death. So James says, no matter what you're going through, how deep the waters are, hold on to God with every fiber of your being. Because in the end, it's really worth it all. Verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. He basically says that the end product, life, is worth it all. The problem is that the process sometimes to get that life doesn't always feel like life, right? Sometimes it feels like death. You ever been through those deep trials or difficulties of life and you've either said it or you've thought it, I feel like I'm going to what? Die. I feel like I'm going to die. The process sometimes is incredibly difficult. What James reminds us is the end product is worth it all. Even though it may not feel like it at the moment, the end product, if you're willing to hold on to God with every fiber of your being, I promise you, he says, it will be worth it all. Process may not feel like it, but the end product is. Now look at verses 12 to 14, or 13 to 15. What you'll see in this section of Scripture is that the lack of perseverance, the, the letting go not believing in God, walking away from Him, not hanging on to Him with everything we have, the lack of that has a product as well. Verse 15 said it's death. Letting go of God or giving into temptation has an end product as well, death. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God can't be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But when you're tempted, you're tempted by your own evil desires, and you're dragged away and enticed by that, and after that desire is conceived, gives birth to sin, Sin, when it's full grown, give birth to death. What's ironic, if you honestly look at it in a short view of life, that sometimes the process of sin feels like what? Life. Giving in to temptation sometimes, every once in a while, can feel good for a while. What you need to notice in this section of Scripture and what so many people forget as they're walking through or walking toward or in the middle of that temptation, that they forget that the end product of that is and always will be it may feel like life. It may feel like freedom. It may feel good for a moment. It may feel good for a time, but it will always, always, always lead down a path of death and destruction. And what happens is we get a short view of life instead of a long view of life, and we only look at life at the moment or for the moment instead of the long haul and recognize the price that we are paying for giving in or letting go or giving up on God or walking away from Him. Again, Debbie's testimony a few weeks ago. When I was walking with God, things were difficult. When I walked away from God, I found out that my life was so empty and hollow and self-destructive, I thought literally I was going to die. And that's what sometimes we forget. In our society especially, we have such a short view of life. Everything is minuscule. Everything is down to the moment. It's the decision for now. It's the decision that feels good for a few moments, feels good for a while. I'm just tired of fighting the temptation. I'll just do it for a little bit. I'll just give in for a little time. What James says, you've got to back up long enough and far enough away from the issue to see how devastating that decision is. Even though the process right now of hanging on to God may feel like death, it isn't. It is life in this life and eternal life. 
process of, of letting go sometimes and giving into temptation may feel like life. I just need you to know it is death. It's got death written all over it. Please, please, please choose life. Now, James is going to come across in this section of Scripture as a no-nonsense counselor who, instead of dancing around the subject, tells you the truth, gets in your face, makes you confront the issue at hand, makes you deal with the core of the problem, sees through all the smoke, and tells it like it is. Now, I don't know about you, that's what I need every once in a while. I know you've seen it before, I've never showed it before, but the, the Geico commercial with a counselor who's sitting on the couch, who's a former gunnery sergeant. That's what I need every once in a while. We've got a clip of that. Guys, show it just for a minute. Could switching to Geico this is the kind of counselor I need. Or more on car insurance. Does a former drill sergeant make a terrible therapist? And that's why yellow makes me sad, I think. That's interesting. You know what makes me sad? You do! Maybe we should chug on over to Mamby Pamby land where maybe we can find some self-confidence for you, you jack wagon! Tissue? Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. <laughs> now, I know that doesn't work for everyone. And I know that's not always the best technique. It's not the technique that I use when I'm counseling somebody, so if you want somebody that will, you know... But that's what I need every once in a while. Because I can easily dance around my issues or push them off onto somebody else or blame somebody else for the problem or talk about what I didn't have or what I needed to have when I was a kid or what I happened to have when I was young and all of those issues. And every once in a while, I need a James to walk in my face and say, quit lying to yourself. Stop it. Recognize why you're at where you're at and deal with the issue. Brennan Manning, in his book, Ragamuffin Gospel, says this, In order to free the captive, you've got to name the captivity. And once you see it and honestly admit it and come humbly and broken before God in repentance, it's then that you'll find freedom in God's amazing grace. But you'll never get any of that if you keep blaming everybody else for your issue. You don't know someone who seems to blame everyone else for their problems? It's mom's fault. It was dad's fault. He just didn't do what I needed when I was little. It was the teacher. She just doesn't like me. It's the ways those, ways those girls dress. My wife doesn't pay attention to me anymore. You don't understand. My husband doesn't show me love. My spouse just doesn't help around the house. I needed those pills just to get through the pain. I just needed a drink to calm my nerves. You have no idea what my week was like. And I just needed to stop there for a little while just to see some of the guys and just have one just to calm my nerves down a little bit. I, I, I just wanted to fit in, so I went along to get along, and now, to be really honest with you, I'm in so deep, I don't know what to do. Now, there's a lot of times when somebody else really is to blame for your issues. There are a lot of times when someone else really is to blame for where you're at in life, but you cannot, I cannot control the behavior of other people no matter how hard I wish I could. And if we don't deal with our own issues, we'll be forever the victim of someone else's actions and we will always be at the mercy of circumstances or how people treated us or how they treat us now. And to be honest with you, that is somewhat of a hopeless way to live. Now, if I were really honest with you and it were just you and me in the room, just one of us one-on-one, -on -one, I would be honest enough to tell you this sermon is for me. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get something out of it. 
But there's a lot in here that I need to learn. A lot in here that God has been saying to me because there are times that I wish I really could control the behavior of other people. And that I haven't always dealt with my own issues and I am ever sometimes the victim of someone else's actions and I will always be at the mercy of circumstances or how I was treated or how people treat us. And to be honest with you, at times if I don't do that, that is really a hopeless way to live. The best hope is to accept responsibility for where I am at, where you're at, to seek God's face, to seek His grace, to receive His forgiveness and help, and let Him walk you through that circumstance. Some of us need to honestly admit when we're bitter, angry, addicted, unfaithful, irresponsible, or mean-spirited, it's because we made a choice to be, regardless of the causes. I hear so many people that have come to me through the years and all the years of ministry who have either been unfaithful or have left their spouse because of what their spouse did or didn't do. And they've said things like this to me. Well, God wants me to be happy, right? No. What He wants you to be is faithful and responsible for your own behavior, actions, and decisions. Does God make you happy? Can He make you? Absolutely. I couldn't be happier as a believer in Christ and exactly what Brian sang about this morning. But I hear so many times when we make some of these choices and decisions that people will justify it by saying, well, God just wanted me to be happy. No, what He wants you to be is holy. And He wants you to be faithful to the commitment that you made. That's why James is saying here, don't blame God for where you're at. It may be a little closer than you think. Let me show you, he says, how it works in verse 14. Each one, look at the words, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. Now the problem is as old as time itself. It started all the way back in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of humanity. You read the story in Genesis, I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, all the way back in the Garden of Eden where God places two people, Adam and Eve, in an incredible environment. Everything they could have ever wanted was placed in this environment. Everything they needed, everything they could possibly even think of was in front of them. God gave one restriction, one boundary, only one. Don't do this. Don't eat from this one tree. Right in the middle of this incredible environment, Satan crawls in, and we'll talk a lot about him next Sunday morning. He crawls in and said, God's holding out on you. Do you really think that's what God meant? And plants the seed of doubt or thought in their mind, and they look, they listen, and then they eat. James 1.15, then after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. Now, what's fascinating to me about this story in the book of Genesis, and to be honest with you, wonderful at the same time, is right in the middle of their sin and disobedience, who shows up? God. Now, for some, that may seem intimidating. For some, it may seem like, well, the last person I want around when I'm participating in any sin and disobedience is God, and I certainly get that. But to be honest with you, to me, there's a fascinating side of that, in that God is a constant pursuer. God is a continual pursuer. He doesn't want us to stay in that sin. He doesn't want us to participate in that activity. He doesn't want us to let go of Him and give in to that. 
And I don't know about you, but uh, of the thousand things I love about God, I love God's constant pursuit of us. He comes and he pursues, and that to me is incredible, incredible news. God, Adam, where are you? God could have stayed in heaven and said, you know what, <laughs> that's it. I gave you everything you wanted, one restriction, and you blew it, you're done. There are times that we do that, sometimes even with our kids. You got one chance, pal. You blow that, you're done. It'll take you forever to get your love back, or my love back, or my respect back, or these keys back, or whatever it may be. What I love about God, and I'm saying, I'm, I want to be careful, I know you have, a balance, have to balance it out. But what I love about God is right in the middle of my mistake and right in the middle of my mess up, God loves me enough not to leave me there and to show up. And I don't know about you, but that's good news. That's one of the good newses of the gospel. Now, the bad news is giving into temptation has horrible consequences. God confronts their sin. What's interesting about that is to look at their response in the midst of that sin. Adam's the first one God confronts. It should have been. He's the one that was leading the family. That's why when you get back to it, I think no one has done it any better than Stacey Eldridge and, and her husband John in a book called uh, Captivating as they talk about the fall of humanity and how it happened, how Adam was standing right beside her and the one that would have been or should have been the protector in that relationship, the one that should have been the one blazing the trail, doing the right thing. When Eve is tempted by Satan, he says and does what? Nothing. God comes to him first and said, what'd you do? Adam's response was her. <laughs> it was her. Who, by the way, you gave me. Now that to me is unbelievable audacity. I didn't, it wasn't me, God, it was her. Matter of fact, you gave her to me, so somehow, somewhere, you're to blame for all of this. I often wonder when James is writing this out, when you're tempted, don't blame God if he has the first sin in mind in this particular context. And then God goes to Eve. Her response, the snake. That's as bad as the dog ate my homework. You ever use that one? The snake. He tempted me, I gave in. All this time in this incredible environment, they had been so other conscious, so aware of the other person and their needs, and now all of a sudden when sin comes up to the picture, there's a powerful translation of one of the sections there in Genesis where it says they covered themselves and said now being concerned with the other individual I'm covering myself I recognize what I've done and we've been doing that ever since instead of dealing honestly with our issues we cover ourselves up and hope that it goes away now now what Adam and Eve did that diverting it on to somebody else Adam saying it was Eve Eve saying it was a snake the purpose of blaming, blaming is to divert tension away from ourselves a lot of the times when we'll push the responsibility or the, the issue off to someone else, it's usually to divert tension away from ourselves. Things like, life is just unfair. That cop had it out for me. He, he knows what I drive, and he had it out for me. I'm just telling you, this teacher doesn't like me. She likes everybody else but me. She has it out for me. She's had it out for me since day one. My husband or wife just doesn't treat me right. My boss just expects too much of me. Everybody does it, right? And we shift the burden responsibility to someone else. You've lost six jobs in six months and a history of not being able to keep a job. Why? I'm persecuted for my faith. James would say, really? Come on. 
Maybe it's because you're irresponsible and can't keep a job. Maybe it's because you've not lived up to their expectation. We're always in a process of shifting the responsibility and the issue or diverting it away from ourselves and not dealing with who we are. James 16, said, Don't be deceived. You and I are responsible for our choices, our behavior, our sin, and our responses to the circumstance. Verse 14, Each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he dragged away and enticed. For Adam and Eve, the end result, death. Physically and spiritually. James 1.15, after desire is conceived, it gave birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now, there are people who don't blame everyone else for all that they do. Who really, sadly, blame themselves. They blame themselves for everything. Now, when I do premarital counseling and I get guys in a room and... The girls especially, I say to them, guys, I just want you to, to learn how to say this, okay? This is how you're going to have a successful marriage. These are the phrases you need. Yes, dear, I was wrong. Yes, dear, it was my fault. I'm sorry. Those are the three phrases you need to memorize. Not to manipulate your relationship because most of the time you were wrong, it was your fault, and you need to say you're sorry. But so often we do that because we think it'll either get us back into the relationship again, either get her to calm down, either to get us connected again, or just to get her to forget what I have just done. And sometimes they just become manipulation. Sometimes they just become words without any meaning because we really do know that we shouldn't have done what we needed to do. And there are times that there are people who really honestly do blame themselves for everything. I found myself through the years, honestly, doing a little bit of both. I can either do really well at shifting the blame on someone else and it was their fault or the way they treated me, they just don't like me or whatever it is, or to be really honest with you, I will take the blame for almost everything that goes on. When I look around sometimes and I, I, I know attendance isn't what I, what I thought it would be when we moved into the sanctuary and there are empty seats, and I talk to people who have left our church, I feel bad. I, I should have done more. I should have paid more attention. When I look at our numbers financially in the sheet that we had printed last Sunday morning and, and I see how low we are, I, I should have preached on stewardship more. When money is tight and things go wrong, I, I do have a tendency to blame or take the blame or the responsibility for everything that goes wrong. When the Steelers lose, I should have prayed more. <laughs> so there are personalities like mine who, who do take and, and feel like everything is their fault, and there are others who blame everyone else for their issues or their circumstances. What I have found is I've got to be honest enough with myself and my circumstances to do the work necessary to sort out what I'm responsible for and what I'm not responsible for. In my case, I have to learn to be responsible to teach, preach, and model. I'm not responsible for what others do with what I teach. You may have to do some work in your own area of responsibility. It may take a lot of work to honestly begin to sort out what am I responsible for and what am I not, and what do I need to deal with, why have I gotten where I am, is it my fault, should I have made these choices, should I have not made these choices, 
Did I find myself in situations where I knew it was the wrong thing to do? I just felt like I needed to breathe there for a moment. I felt like I just needed to, to, to let go and let down my guard for a little bit. And I only gave in for a little while, but now I find myself so far down this hole, I can't get out. For some of us, we may need to do the work that's necessary to do that. It may take a lot of help. It may take some counseling, which is fine. Because the alternative is to stay bound up forever. The process of perseverance, verse 12, is painful at times. But the product is life. Eternal life and life now. Giving into temptation may seem like life for a moment, but the end product is death. You have to believe that. Because sin kills everything it touches. Those are hard words, but maybe it could be our best friend. If we really are honest enough to evaluate what it is that James is saying, put it right in front of us. As he'll say in a few verses, look at it like, a, like your face in a mirror and recognize I'm looking at me. There are things that I'm responsible for and things I'm not. And I'm looking at myself honestly and I recognize that I'm here because I made some really bad choices. And I'm responsible for that. And God, I need you in the name of Jesus to get me out. I'm tired of pushing the blame onto somebody else. I'm tired of what I said about my dad and my dad didn't do this or he didn't do that or mom did this. This is where I'm at. And I've got to make the right choice and the right decision. Before us every day, to some extent or the other, are life and death choices. And God, from the book of Deuteronomy, and has been saying it ever since, choose life. Please choose life. Let's pray. Father, there's a, a lot to this, a lot I, I need to flesh out.